2: Is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the L.I. News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Speedy,
3: what's up? Never thought I would see the day where I was positive about the Giants and then negative about the Mets, but here we are. The Giants actually winning a thriller, and the Mets can't beat bad teams to save their life.
2: Well, we have a lot of New York teams might be looking for new ownership. We will be talking about that a little bit later in the show, but a great show lined up for you guys. A little bit later in the show, we will be talking to SB Nation blogging the boys' editor and chief... R.J. Ochoa. He'll be talking a little Dallas football with us, and a little Houston baseball. He's a big Houston Astro fan. I don't understand why. And that's why we're having him on the show, because we like to make fun of Dallas fans. I'm just kidding. But well,
3: if you're listening to this show today, you've scored more touchdowns in a football game than the Dallas Cowboys did in week one.
2: There you go. We will be talking to Mr. Ochoa a little bit about the Dallas Cowboys and where he thinks the Dallas Cowboys could go, knowing Dak Prescott could be out six to eight weeks. So, it'll be very interesting to see what Mr. Ochoa will say to us. Robert Salas says, He's keeping receipts! For all the fans and all the press mocking the Jets after that unbelievably terrible Baltimore loss, that will be the first thing we get into. We will get into the New York Giants as they surprise and shock the world, ladies and gentlemen, as they knock off the Tennessee Titans in Tennessee with an unbelievable game by Saquon Barkley. Over 160 yards and a touchdown. He was fantastic. Showed everybody why he was a top three pick a couple of years ago. If he's healthy, who knows? Saquon Barkley could be one of the better running backs in the NFL this year. So we will get into a little Giants conversation. We'll get into all of week one's games and where we think some of these teams could be. There was a lot of upsets, things that threw me off, especially in my suicide pools. I was knocked out of all my suicide pools, and my fantasy team's not doing that well either. So a lot to talk about. Moneyline Mania. Wes will be joining us. Chaz is right now dealing with some family stuff. But Wes is knocking on the door, ladies and gentlemen, as he's hitting... on all his picks. The Handicapper of the Year. Yes, and it also, is Wes. And
3: also fresh from the Kansas City Chiefs game. He was there on Thursday night. I'm in sure he was jumping Chargers. out of his
2: pants after knocking off the Chargers.
3: We will also get into Aaron Judge
2: on his chase. Not for the home run record, but for the Triple Crown. The last person to get the Triple Crown was Miguel Cabrera. And before that, that was a lot longer than that. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, so it's going to be very interesting. He is hitting the ball, and he's hitting the ball very, very well. Not only for power, for average and OPS, and he leads the league in RBIs as well. So he's been fantastic all season long, so we'll get into Aaron Judge, the New York Yankees, who are red hot right now. We were talking two or three weeks ago how the Yankees were choking, and now all of a sudden they're the hottest team in baseball. Figure this one out. It doesn't make any sense, but that's baseball, Susan. We will get it to the New York Mets as they are just choking it up. I don't know what's going on with the Mets. Met fans are not very excited to see what is going on with this team, but they are excited that Sandy Alderson is stepping down. Crunch time and RJ Ochoa are joining us a little bit later in the show. So why don't we get in? to the New York Jets. Before we get into the whole I'm taking receipts, there was news from Mike Francesa on his podcast that the New York Jets and Woody Johnson might be interested in possibly selling the team. It's just a story right now. There's no truth to the story. But if Mike Francesa is speaking about it, there has to be a truth. Now, I don't know what connection Mike Francesa has with the New York Jets and the Johnson family. I don't know. But if he's coming out and saying that Woody Johnson might be interested in selling the team, it's going to grow legs. Just a couple of weeks ago, we heard that James Dolan, in about a year and a half after he gets out of that thing that he is doing out in Vegas, he might be interested in selling the New York Rangers and the New York Knicks. For some reason, besides the Yankees and the Giants, the Brooklyn Nets just got a new owner a couple of years ago. The Mets have a new owner in Steve Cohen. James Dolan might be interested in selling the Knicks and the Rangers. The Islanders had a new owner a couple of years ago. And now the Jets. All these New York teams looking to be on the market. I don't think Hal Steinbrenner is selling the Yankees. I don't think that's going to happen. And I don't see the Mara or the Tisch family selling their stock in the Giants. It doesn't seem likely. But what does this say to the New York Jet fan? Is this a good thing? I would say it's a good thing. Even though I like Woody Johnson, he's been a good owner. He's opened up his pockets. He spends the money. It's not like he's been putting the money back into his pocket. He is giving the money out to the players and to the free agents that they bring in. But for some reason, nobody wants to play for Woody Johnson. Bill Belichick did not want the New York Jets job in 1998 when Parcells stepped down because he didn't like Woody Johnson. He was a friend of Leon S., Within 24 hours, he takes the New England Patriots job, and we all know what happened after
3: that. Jets fans scarred forever.
2: (laughs) Tom Brady in the sixth round, and then all those Super Bowls and all those playoff appearances in the AFC East. The New York Jets are not a good organization. I am a Jet fan, and I have every right to speak up and say the truth. They're not. The last time they made the playoffs was in 2011. That was over 11 years ago. That was with Rex Ryan, Bart Scott, Braylon Edwards, Santonio Holmes, Mark Sanchez. I could go on and on and on. Since then, the Jets have had three different coaches, have not come close to winning an AFC title, and haven't come close to making the playoffs. How many top five picks have they had in the last 10 years? How many of them actually turned out to be decent? I could only understand why Woody Johnson wants to sell this team. It makes a lot of sense. I wouldn't want this team either. Even though with the new contracts, new TV deals that the NFL has brought in, the new advertisements and sponsorships, all benefit the Johnson family. But nevertheless, we wonder, when is this story going to really grow legs? And I believe if this team is not a winning team this year, if this team... Doesn't win seven games. I believe the Johnson family will decide in the offseason when he knows and they know that Joe Douglas is no longer going to have a job. Zach Wilson will no longer be the starting quarterback of this team. And
3: Robert Sala might be on his flight back to San Francisco. Joining the other X 49 ers that are now members of the New York Jets, both on the coaching staff and with the players. But yeah, this is definitely something that I would not be surprised if it happened sooner rather than later because we've seen big cities kind of take advantage of that kind of thing. L.A. did it just recently with the Rams and the Chargers. Rams obviously went the Super Bowl in their home stadium and this project since SoFi Stadium has been built and even since they moved to L.A. has been a big deal for the NFL and for Los Angeles in general. And now New York, why not take advantage of that? Better fan base over there, much more endorsements over there, much better overall football and sports city than LA is, so why not take advantage if you're the Jets and try to be able to, one, build a new stadium, and two, change the image of that. Yes, Woody Johnson spent money, but Also at the same time, the top free agents, kind of like we were talking about with the Knicks and James Dolan, sometimes shy away from the Jets or have to take a lot more money to go to the Jets. Some Jets fans call it the Jet Tax because they were in a good run team. So as a result, the Jets might have had some big names come in there, like Woody Johnson likes, but sometimes they didn't create good results. It's a playoff drought that's over a decade. I was in high school the last time they made the playoffs. That's what the Jets are going to have to go by, but this is definitely a move I can definitely see happen, I think even faster than the James Dolan one, because you were talking about the James Dolan project in Vegas. It's been a long time for the so they definitely need that kind of culture identity. And you look at that kind of thing with the Rams. When they did it to the LA, they had a very similar playoff drought. They hadn't made the playoffs since 2004 at that time, which they moved in 2016. They made the playoffs in 2017 in McVay's first year. So that was a very similar length drought. So maybe the Jets are trying to get that kind of identity and that kind of notoriety brought to New York, especially to win over against the Giants, too.
2: And then, there's Robert Sala, who spoke to the press on Monday after that debacle of a football game. Lamar Jackson out the old man himself, Mr. Granny Panties, Joe Flacco. The fact is, the backup quarterbacks on this team are not only old, wrinkly, can't run anymore, shouldn't even be in the NFL anymore, but are starting for a team that is supposedly a much more talented team now that Robert Soller has sold to the fans in the offseason and a competitive team this year than any other team in the last five to six years. And what did they do on Sunday? Mike LaFleur decided not to run the ball after the first drive. Michael Carter... Got almost 20 yards on a run. They decided not to run the ball with Michael Carter. They started giving the ball to the rookie, Brees Hall, who ran the ball pretty well in the first half. Then he dropped the ball. But he's a rookie, and I'm not going to take shots at him. But for some reason, they stopped giving the ball to Michael Carter. They started throwing the ball when it was raining with old man Flacco to Corey Davis, Mr. Podhand himself. He dropped the ball numerous amount of times. Elijah Moore couldn't catch the ball either. He made some mistakes, too. And a couple of really big penalties which cost the Jets in the second half of the game. But we're not even going to talk about that. We're not going to get into the defense, how good they looked in the first half. They kept the Baltimore Ravens offense to only one touchdown and a field goal kick. We're going to talk about after the game, on Monday, after practice, Robert Sala was interviewed by the press, very calmly said, you know what, I'm going to be taking receipts for all you doubters that are mocking us. Robert Sala. Now, this organization has been a clown organization for the last 10 years. Look at the clowns we had coaching this team. All the way from Rex Ryan to Todd Bowles to Adam Gase. I could go on and on and on and on. Now we bring in a guy that's very well-respected around the league. A lot of players love him. And he's a player's coach. Likes to dance on the sidelines. As we saw on Sunday, even losing, he was dancing on the sidelines. And he comes out and he takes shots at the press which you do not do in New York. There's one place you do not attack the press, and that is New York. And he knows that Joe Judge learned his lesson because he's no longer the New York Giants head coach. He's co-offensive coordinator for the New England Boring Patriots. What a great position. (laughs) Dable taking over a job. And we'll get into Dable in the next segment. Don't worry. And him saying the things that he has said over and over and over again. All gas, no break. Trying to teach us as Jet fans that this is going to be a different New York Jets team. This is the same old New York Jets. The same Jet team with all the talent, all the youth, all the ability to compete in these football games and absolutely choke against a Baltimore Raven team that didn't have their number one running back in this game, and J.K. Dobbins. Didn't have their number two either. Gus Edwards was hurt too. They didn't have Gus Edwards. I can't even tell you who their number one wide receiver is. The only thing that I could say that they did well in this game is they put Sauce Gardner on Andrews, and he shut him down. That's it. You shut down the biggest weapon on the Baltimore Ravens, and when you do that, you usually win. No, the Jets lose 24-9. to How do you lose to Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens 24-9 to when you shut down their best option? I'll tell you how. It's the New York Jets. It's the great and powerful Robert Soller, all gas, no break, New York Jets. And then you go and you attack the press, you attack the fans and say that you're going to take receipts. And then you're trying to draw it back during the week because you said that and it pissed everybody off on a national stage. That was a clown statement. And I love you, Robert Sala. What is it going to do? It starts the clock. You just started the clock. And what does that mean? Every single coach... That's ever opened his mouth in New York, in any other sport, and take shots at the press and the fans, the clock starts. And you know how long it lasts for them? If they don't win, no longer than a year. It happens all the time. Do you want me to go back on the coaches in every single sport that opened their mouth to the press and said what they felt about the fans and the organization and the press? I could go down the line on the coaches that have done that. Does anybody remember Jeff Hornacek? He's gone. How about Derek Fisher? Remember him? course I didn't. Ah, there's a Ranger head coach that really liked to open up his mouth. Mr. Tortorella. How long did he last after he opened his mouth against the press? Two more years.
3: Two Giants coaches recently. Joe Judge. Judge, Judge
2: and McAdoo, that McAdoo, Adam Gase was another one Googly eyes This always happens And now what Robert Sala did Was he pissed off a lot of people Not just the fans and the press He pissed off analysts that stuck up for you Since you got the job Mike Greenberg had his own thoughts on ESPN On what he thought about Robert Sala And how he attacked the Jet fan and the press it's not a good sign to start the beginning of the season getting dominated by Baltimore. Nobody expected them to be Baltimore. But we wanted to see a competitive game. It was not competitive. It was Lamar Jackson and Joe Flacco playing his former team and looked like the old man he was. He was better off coaching on the sidelines, one of the rookie quarterbacks on one or the other team. He does not
3: belong on the field. At this point, maybe the Jets have to trade back for Geno Smith because Joe Flacco looked horrible. Geno Smith looked pretty damn good <laughs> against Gino the Smith Broncos. He looked good, yeah. Primetime game against a Broncos defense that, granted, got worse, but still is still pretty good. I'll tell you why he looks good. He's not a Jet. I <laughs> hated Geno
2: Smith with the Jets, but yeah, now
3: all of a I sudden. I knew that pick was horrible at the time, too. So it was like, this is the classic Jets just drafting a flashy quarterback that regressed badly the second half of that. And then he goes season. to Seattle and he starts to win. But nevertheless, those comments definitely put a time bomb on you, Robert Sala, because you have a lot to prove now, and not only just as a defensive play caller, because as a defensive play caller, there were definitely some good things you saw in that game, taking away the run, taking away Mark Andrews, fine. You did some good things. Lamar Jackson only rushed for 17 yards. The Ravens' leader rusher was Kenyon Drake with 31 yards. Well, maybe your offensive coordinator, who has an even bigger time bomb than you, should stop calling the most stale offense imaginable. He looked very Jason Garrett-esque out there, the way he was calling all these run plays in the beginning, and then all of a sudden he just throws these short passes. And Like Jason Garrett did with the Cowboys and with the Giants, sometimes did not use his top weapons to their advantage. Garrett Wilson only started to see playing time in the second half, and Corey Davis, who did not have this big of drop problems in Tennessee, all of a sudden went to the Evan Engram School of Drops and has pot hands. Elijah Moore must have went there too because he had a lot of issues with that as well. So all of a sudden you have Michael LeFleur who doesn't know how to call plays, an offensive line that doesn't know how to block. Granted, have some injuries. Wide receivers, there's no excuse there. Everyone's healthy. Running backs, no excuse there to get it going in the second half. I think Michael Carter played well, but still, that's not really a justification of Michael Fleur. That was justification of Michael Carter. So, Michael Fleur, you got a big-time time time bomb on you to keep your job, and Robert Sala, you better justify those comments to head coach.
2: And that defense played very well in the first half and looked terrible in the second half. That had a lot to do because the offense couldn't stay on the field. Sauce Gardner is everything that everybody expected him to be. DJ Reed looked really good in his first game. Those two guys Shut down the opposing team's best wide receivers. It's not saying much because they didn't have much, but they still shut them down.
3: 59 yards or 54 yards, but that's very good in today's game.
2: The safety play was horrible. And now you're going in to Cleveland on Sunday. A team that has Jacoby Brissett as their starting quarterback. A third-string quarterback. If you don't come out with a win in this game or even make it competitive against a Cleveland Brown team, let's be honest. They have one wide receiver and two running backs. That's it. That's their offense. I don't know about Ajoku. I don't know what he is this year. He didn't look good last week. The Jets don't do very well against tight ends.
3: That might be a matchup they'll have to expose, especially if LaMarcus Joyner has to play free safety. Good luck with that.
2: I think it's going to be very, very interesting for the New York Jets. After Robert Sala put the pressure on his team to come out and be a dominant force in Cleveland. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll get into the New York Giants and week one and all the NFL when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, as you know. This is the Weekend Coach. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday. From 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. Why shouldn't the Giant fans be excited after week one? You finally have a head coach that actually knows what he's doing. You have a quarterback that maybe they have something with him. I know it wasn't one of those games that really brighten up the scoreboard. Because he did. not 188 yards. Nothing really stood out. But he made some nice plays in the open field. He didn't make a lot of mistakes. He didn't drop the ball. One bad pass cost him. But this team is actually playing for their coach. Finally, the New York Giants have a coach offensively-minded and gifted that can get this team on that scoreboard, game in and game out, and give them a chance to win.
3: Who would have thought? Actual motion. Good three receiver sets. Creative formations. The Giants haven't seen that in who knows how long. A modern offense finally taking over. Even with wide receivers hurt, too. Keep in mind, Canarius Tony did not play much in that game. He was limited. Wandale Robinson got hurt in that game. Neither of them will be active this week. And Daniel Jones, that was a good sense of adversity for him to be able to test that kind of thing. They barely had any tight end play. Forget about that. I have him and Angram last segment fine, but they still don't haven't replaced him yet. Daniel Jones yeah, his numbers weren't flashy Two touchdowns, 180 yards But 17-21, that's a great completion percentage Granted, simple passes, fine But that's adversity for him to overcome That's a big thing for a guy that He hasn't had a lot of chances to do close games, crunch time situations like that, but still hasn't been great in the ones that he's had. He still has had trouble sensing pressure, and even that game still was a little bit iffy with that too, but their offensive line on the outside played very well, and Daniel Jones took advantage of that. And finally, they actually have a coach in Brian Dable that knew actually how to use him in motion and use his running ability to that advantage, and that helped big time when it came to facing a Titans defense that still has a good amount of talent. Yes, they lost some pieces in the offseason, and is still well coached, so Daniel Jones deserves a lot of credit, and Brian Dable a ton of credit for that play. How
2: about Saquon? Saquon Barkley, yeah. who absolutely exploded. 18 carries, 164 yards, one touchdown, averaged nine point one yards to every touch. Those are dominant numbers. And if Saquon Barkley could do that week in and week out, that's going to dominate the clock and that's going to give the Giants an opportunity to be competitive in every single game. Going into this week, this is a winnable game. The Giants have a chance to really explode and maybe go 3-0 and in the beginning part of the season. I predicted the Giants could win eight or nine games this year. Maybe ten. Maybe squeak into the playoffs. Maybe win the division. Who's to say they can't?
3: got to beat the Eagles. They don't beat the Eagles very well. It doesn't matter.
2: You have to look at this team. This team is not fully talented. The Jets are more talented than the New York Giants. But the Jets choked Robert Saleh. Choked. Robert Robertsal in his second year, Dable in his first game. And it wasn't an easy game against a Tennessee Titan team that made the playoffs last year. Against a Tennessee Titan team that has a coach who was coach of the year last year.
3: Number one seed in the AFC.
2: Derrick Henry, who's arguably the best running back in all of football. Shut him down under 100 yards. Without your two best defensive players, quite possibly. What does that tell you? about the coaching with the Giants and the coaching with the Jets. It tells you the Giants look like they have it right with their coach, and right now, the Jet fans don't know if they have it right with Robert
3: Sala. You mentioned the defensive coaching that game. Now, the talent is not great with the Giants on their defensive side, especially at the inside linebacker spot and the secondary with the corner depth. That's something that the Titans were able to take advantage of in some facets, but the coaching did end up helping in other areas, though. They were able to take away Derrick Henry, especially in the second half, just 82 yards in that game, 3.9 yards yards of carry, which is low for his standards. Their top receivers were kind of taken out. Traylon Burks had a couple of nice plays, but they were only just 55 yards. It was Kyle Phillips and Dontrell Hillard that were dominating for the Titans. So, Wink Martindale coached him to say, alright, we're going to let these lesser-known guys beat us, and that's a good sign of good defensive coaching, which you need to do when you don't have the overall talent level, especially with Thibodeau and Ojolari both out. They were really lacking the edge rushing. Jihad Ward gave him credit, a lot of credit. He played well in that game as a backup player, and their interior rush, I think, did a good job as well, especially against the run defense, and that's a lot on the coaching, too. Giants roster is still pretty far behind. They're considered a rebuilding team. I only thought they'd win six games, and this is not one of the games I thought they'd win. I thought they had a lot of tough matchups in this game. As far as the Panthers game, the Panthers allowed 141 yards rushing to Nick Chubb, so hopefully Saquon Barkley could do that kind of thing again. I think their front seven's still talented, the Panthers, but you gotta look at that as a possibly a favorable matchup. Offensively, Christian McCaffrey, he had a good yard from scrimmage, but did not rush the ball very well against the Browns, and that's maybe encouraging for the Giants, but at the same time the Giants also struggled with Dontrell Hillard as a pass-catching running back, and we know Christian McCaffrey could be just as dynamic of a receiver as he is a runner. So that will be a big matchup for them going into the Panthers.
2: So why don't we get into all of Week 1's games, and we'll give you our thoughts. The Saints
3: and Atlanta, Speedy, what did you think about that game? I actually had the upset with Atlanta in this game. It looked like their defense was hanging tough, but then the Saints' furious comeback. Michael Thomas looks like Michael Thomas again. Top 10 receiver that he was three years ago. Two touchdowns in that game, and you have the Saints' defense a lot of credit down the stretch, and they're a dangerous team to watch if Jameis Winston cannot commit turnovers, which he did do a good job at. Cleveland
2: and Carolina, we watched Jacoby Brissett really not have a very good game. We saw that Chubb can run the ball. We know what Hunt could do, and you see the weakness of the Cleveland Browns. They don't have wide receivers. Amari Cooper's really the only guy. The other two or three guys, young players, and that is the weakness of this Cleveland Browns team. But. I love what I saw with Cleveland's defense. Miles Garrett was dominating at the line of scrimmage, and this offensive line is one of the more underrated offensive line in football. Robbie Anderson had a good game, over 100 yards. DJ Moore didn't have one of those explosive games, and Christian McCaffrey, where everybody thought was going to be that running back this year, if he could stay healthy, he didn't really look good in game number one. And Baker Mayfield had a decent game, but nothing that really blew the boards off the field against his former team. Cleveland
3: wins the game 26-24, a lot closer than I thought. San Francisco and Chicago. Upset of the week. Never would have saw this one coming. And Sloppy field conditions, understandable, but usually those kinds of things benefit the 49ers. A team that loves to run the ball, a team that plays good defense in that front seven. And Chicago, power to Justin Fields. That was gritty. That's one of those performances, just like the college football playoff game where he broke his rib and stayed in it. That's one of those types of games. What a comeback by him against a tough 49ers defense.
2: Another upset was the Bengals and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Nobody would have thought McPherson was going to miss Three kicks. This guy was the best kicker in football last year. He didn't miss one kick. Even in the playoffs, he was a big part of why the Bengals went all the way to the Super Bowl. Not only just Joe Burrow, but one of the faces of the Cincinnati Bengals. And then they laid up a lousy goose egg. Joe Burrow goes into game number one. He threw four interceptions, put his team behind really early in the game. The defense was absolutely fantastic. Fitzpatrick, the pick six, he was fantastic. Weatherspoon, he also played very well. I loved what I saw at Pittsburgh defensively. They lost Watt for a significant amount of time, hurting his peck. So he could be out a significant amount of time, and that's a huge loss for one of the best defensive players in the league. But I like what Mitchell Trubisky did. He wasn't explosive. His numbers weren't numbers that popped off the board, but he made every throw that he needed to make, and he kept the Bengals thinking. And the Bengals' defense, defense that was expected to be even better than they were this year, and that offensive line with some of the acquisitions that they brought in Collins from the Cowboys, he obviously didn't show up. Nobody showed up on that offensive line, and that's why they hit Joe Burrow a lot. So hopefully in week number two we see a different Bengal team, but I have to give a shout-out to Mike Tomlin in that pesky – Pittsburgh Steelers defense.
3: Philadelphia and Detroit, Speedy. High-scoring game. The Lions, I give them a lot of credit. Offensively, they did very well, especially to the outside, against a tough Eagles defense, a secondary that has improved in the offseason. They brought in James Bradbury. They trade for Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. But Jared Goff played well. DeAndre Swift, very effective in that game but the Eagles just with too much offensive firepower. A.J. Brown, very impressive in his debut, and getting the running backs involved, both running backs, Sanders and Gainwell, doing very well. The Eagles offense, not only dynamic, but deep, too. That proved a lot.
2: Michael Pittman, Jonathan Taylor, both had fantastic games, but Matt Ryan didn't. The quarterback that they changed in the offseason, trading away Carlson Wentz, bringing in Matt Ryan, the veteran. Very important season for Frank Wright because if this team doesn't get into the playoffs and this team doesn't make noise, it could be oustie out. They could be looking for a new coach in the offseason. Against the Texans, how do you tie as bad as a loss to the Houston Texans, a team that's rebuilding? A coach that'll probably be there for one year. A running back that'll probably be traded in the offseason. Brandon Cooks, their best wide receiver and their best offensive option. He'll probably be traded at the trade deadline. Davis Mills, really showing up to the game, actually had a better game in my eyes than Matt Ryan did. 20-20, to game number one, an Indianapolis Colts team that everybody's expected to win their division and be one of the better teams in the
3: AFC. What a dud. New England and Miami, Speedy. Speaking of dud, there's your Joe Judge, Matt Patricia, Ryan Patriot, offense struggling against a Miami defense that isn't overly talented. Lost Brian Flores as their head coach, but the new head coach offensively looked good with the play calling, but defensively was definitely not expected to do as well this season, and they looked very good, or does it say more bad about the Patriots offense than Mac Jones? Granted, he was playing with a little bit of an injury, but that's no excuse against Miami and Miami definitely the more dominant team. It was 20-7 on the scoreboard, but it looked like it was 30-7. to Washington, Jacksonville, we expected this.
2: Jacksonville played hard in a. The- Second half of the game, but the first half, I don't know what happened. McLaurin had a decent game. We expected Gibson to be the face of this offense, and he was. Carson Wentz had four touchdowns, but threw two interceptions, two interceptions, that on any other team probably would have cost them the game. Washington's defense played at the top of their game, and I expect Washington's defense to be one of the better defenses in the league. And they knock off the Jacksonville Jaguars 28-22 as they go into week two and expected to be competitive throughout the NFC East.
3: Arizona and Kansas City, Speedy. Well, I was dead wrong about the Chiefs having a little bit of a slow start. They look fantastic on both sides of the ball, too. They were able to run the ball in this game. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire looks like the running back he was at LSU in that National Championship type season. Patrick Mahomes, fantastic in that game, but it was their defense that really stood out for me. The speed on the outside, especially against a Kyler Murray, James Conner type offense with a lot of speed on the third wide receivers too in Arizona, and a lot of outside motion, air raid type offense with Cliff King- They really impressed me in this game. Kansas City looks fantastic right now. Not the same defensive struggle they saw at the beginning of last year. Derek Carr throwing the ball too many times to Adams. Forcing the ball in places he shouldn't
2: have. Adams had a great game. Derek Carr threw a couple interceptions. Did not look good in week one. Josh McDaniels did not look good calling the plays behind the helm. But nevertheless, the Chargers win a game that they were expected to win playing in their first game in L.A. Justin Herbert showed up. Their defense, Khalil Mack, Having three sacks in game number one was fantastic. I expect this defense still to be one of the better defenses in the NFL, even though none of the fantasy owners think that they will. But nevertheless, the defense won this game. It wasn't really more of an offensive game. It was more defense, and you saw what defense was better than the other. The Chargers move on to game number two, as we know what happened in Thursday Night Football. Losing against Kansas City, they're 1-1, one one, but it was a big win against a very good Vegas Raiders team.
3: Minnesota and Green Bay. Vikings offense, we knew they would be good, but the Vikings defense, what a statement they made in that first game. They were able to rush the passer, they were able to stop the run, which was a very impressive showing for them. Ed Donatel, first game as a defensive coordinator, and as our guest of the show Pete Bursich mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the first time the Vikings have ran a 3-4 defense since 1986, so that has to say a lot. Kudos to their defense and their offense, like the Giants. Finally showing actual modern concepts. Motion with talented players. For the first time in a long time for Minnesota's offense, Kevin O'Connell props to him as a coach.
2: Tampa did not look impressive against the Dallas Cowboys. Losing Dak Prescott, which could be a season ending injury. What I mean by that, he could be back in week six or week eight. They could be out of the playoffs. They might have no chance of getting back into the playoffs, especially in the NFC East if the Giants are winning, Washington's winning, and obviously the Eagles are winning. So that is a bad sign. I think Tom Brady looked okay the running game for Tampa played a little bit better in the second half, and the defense showed up, obviously shutting down the Dallas Cowboys, the non-offense of the Dallas Cowboys. C.D. Lamb did not look good in game number one. Zeke looked horrible. That running game looked horrible, and that's why Tampa knocks off the Cowboys 19-3, moving on to week number two.
3: And the last game of the week of week one, Denver, Seattle. Well, Khalil Mack's revenge game went very well for him. Not so much for Russell Wilson. Not all his fault, though. He still had over 300 yards, but... Nathaniel Hackett, I don't know what he was doing in that game. His play calling, he did not use a wide receiver having their first catch until the second quarter. They were barely targeted. They were targeting second tight ends. You complained about that with the Jets. He's targeting second tight ends. Their running game was horrible. Nathaniel Hackett looked very Ben McAdoo-esque coaching that first game. They looked undisciplined, unprepared. And what was that play calling at the end of the game? Trying a 64-yard field goal. Brandon McManus is a good kicker. He's not Justin Tucker. And you ran 30 seconds off the clock. What was that abomination of coaching, Nathaniel Hackett? You're not off to a good start, mister. Losing to Seattle, one of the five worst rosters in the NFL. Yikes.
2: And losing Jamal Adams for the season could be costly for the Seattle defense. It came out during the week that he could be out for the full season. So Jamal Adams out for the season. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is our thoughts of week one in the NFL football season. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will have our very special guest as Moneyline Mania is back, ladies and gentlemen. No Chaz family situation, but we have Blackhawk, a.k.a. Worldwide West, the number one handicapper on this network here on The Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, as you know. This is The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host. Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Ollie, on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. World Wide Sports Radio Network. And I just mentioned the World Wide Sports Radio Network. And we have a very special guest for our Moneyline Mania segment, World Wide West. Here we go. It's Moneyline Mania.
0: This is Moneyline Mania. Witches and the crew. It's worldwide Wide West time. Wes, what's going on, bud? I'm going to give an update. I said last week and the week before what we were going to do with the NFL and something I'm I'm doing with my members on the Discord page is we're tracking a system play. What's a system? That means if this and this happen, you automatically bet this. We're playing every money line underdog for $1.25 a game, which totals $20 a week. And I set up a separate account for it, and we're tracking it. And after week one, that account is at $24 and, and some change. So if you had followed all of those plays, you will have successfully taken $20 and ROI'd that by about 10 or 11%. So we had a lot of underdogs show up in the NFL last week, and, and we're, we're just going to stick with the same play. And I'm going to give a quick shout and an update to it every single week. I got two plays this week. The first one I'm looking at is tonight. It actually it's here shortly. Uh, I'm looking at USC. This is 11 and a half point spread. Depending on where you look, you might get 11, but USC Fresno State, what's really amazing about Lincoln Riley, yes, his offense motivates a team and he gets his quarterbacks ready, but he finds total team speed and he makes players faster. And I don't believe that over the course of his history, he just simply has this many fast players. I think that he's just a master at putting players in a position to be faster. And then when you compare USC to Fresno State, they just flat out do have better athletes. I think that night game, better athletes, this is a really good USC team. I think that they're gonna be in the playoff conversation if they can hold up in the, in the Pac-12. Stanford was my, my real question with USC. Stanford has been a Trojan killer. They've been a duck killer in the past. They have a way of making teams play. Stanford kind of reminds me of Wisconsin of the Big 10. Yeah, they just ugly it up and they take down big teams. Like USC tonight, I'm laying 11 and a half. I think that that should be a good one. And then I said last week, when we were talking about the New York teams, I said one of these New York teams is going to win outright and they were both underdogs. I feel very strongly about both New York teams this week, although I feel the opposite. I think that the Jets, have a shot of going into Cleveland and winning that game. I think that the Jets are going to cover. It's six and a half. I got it at seven. Depending on where you look, you can catch seven. It's as low as six. It's just part of the game now. But with sports books legal everywhere, you're just shopping around for odds and value. But six and a half, seven, that's about where it is. I'm in at seven. I really like the Jets. I don't think that this week going against the the Jets and a defensive-minded coach, I just don't think 147 yards of quarterback play for Cleveland is going to do it. The Jets have some talent that is yet to be named. They're yet to become really sexy names in the division or even in the league, but I really like the Jets. And those are my plays for the week. And of course, we're going to stick with the $1.25, $20 total investment, money line, all underdogs. What's cool about that play is last week, there wasn't a payout bigger than plus 260. This week, we have some that are in the plus 300. Like if Chicago were to upset Green Bay, that's a little bit over three to one. If somehow Atlanta were to upset the Rams, I'm not calling for these games. I'm just saying where that system gets cool is if some of these really big dogs come in and win and, and it happens. And that's why we're following.
3: Them. Wes, I know you're a Bears fan. So if they did somehow did start two and oh, and took down the Green Bay Packers, that would really be something.
0: The Bears game is a double negative for me because I will not bet standalone NFL games. I find that it's the easiest way to ruin your vibe. And I also believe that it's the easiest game to lose. Although 10 points against that, Packers offense that didn't do anything last week that really is attractive if, if I had no choice life and death had to pick the game I would take the Bears but 10 points in a division game that's one red flag to me and then the other one is just the fact that it's a primetime game that's another red flag and there was some odd reverse line movement on that game a lot of public action on Green Bay and the line moved the opposite direction so that tells me that there's some peculiar things happening on the Bears action so three strikes for me and that game I'm
3: out. We mentioned at the beginning of the show you were at the Kansas City Chiefs Thursday night football atmosphere. What was that like?
0: There is no experience like Arrowhead. My wife goes to about half the games with me. She's born and raised in Kansas City and she's never been to another stadium for an NFL game and I tell people that I meet if this is your first game you will never experience anything like this. I mean Arrowhead is very loud. You can flip a coin whether Arrowhead or Seattle is more loud but there's 75 plus thousand people in the stadium but there's about a hundred 150,000 total in in the parking lot before the game and people just tailgate and leave the stadium was loud the only ovation i've heard that can compare to what happens when mahomes gets announced is michael jordan in chicago in their heyday and I'll tell you, when, when that pick six took place, the place was on fire. You couldn't hear anything. It was high fives all around. It's an incredible vibe. It's a great place for visiting fans to come to. There's a lot of welcome to Arrowhead. It's nothing like in the Horror Story. I mean, it is truly a great, great game day experience. Only college can compare to what Arrowhead is like. Wow, that is something.
3: Great day for the chiefs Watson, in that game. Justin Watson with the touchdown, then Jalen Watson it, with the pick six.
0: You look at these Chiefs, it's funny because every year, Something kind of like this happens with the media and the average humans. They kind of pick a team that they just really love. And then they forget about the old guy. You know, then the Chiefs are starting to feel very New England-esque. You forgot about us. All right, Chargers, kiss the ring. What are we going to be without Tyreek Hill? I said it last week that, do you really believe that the Chiefs organization versus the Miami organization? you really believe that the Chiefs is going to make a worse decision than Miami? So far, Tyreek looks well for Miami, but the Chiefs just got deep. Nine and 10 connections to different receivers by Mahomes every game. This is gonna create a really dangerous situation for opposing defenses. They don't know who to play. We're getting very little run game. I think Kelsey was somewhere around 50 yards this past game. So it's odd the way that these things play themselves out. And and the Chargers, the world is ready to give them the crown.
3: They still are uh,
0: there's a lot of people that love the
3: Chargers, but Chaz and I always joke about this all the time. They find the weirdest ways to lose. And why not have it be a 97-yard interception return for a touchdown by a seventh round rookie that beats you.
0: Great job. Yeah, and but the Chiefs did not find a way to lose. Which, that's why they won. The one that's really odd to me at this point, everybody's forgetting about New England. That matchup against Pittsburgh, that's an odd one, and New England is worth a look this week in this spot and taking some points, but they're another one. They've never gone 0-2, under Belichick. He can still coach some ball. There's names on that roster that 15 years ago, we about to really become the best defense in football. And New England deserves more respect than they're getting right now. They're an odd one. Can they win the division? I don't know. Buffalo still has to come to Arrowhead in a couple weeks. And so what does that look like for them? I think Buffalo's going to have a hard time playing Tennessee in a, in a primetime spot. Tennessee shows up in weird moments and plays bigger than they are.
3: The Titans actually, fun fact, is as weird of the games as they've lost last season, they beat three out of the four teams that made their conference championship game last year, blew out the Rams badly. They won a close one late in the season against the 49ers, and they blew out your Chiefs in the regular season, 27-3, to and that was the last of the yeah. bad losses to spark the Chiefs' hot streak before obviously they
0: fell apart in the AFC Championship. Well, I was going to say, with the Titans Buffalo, Josh Allen, Buffalo, everything that comes with that intense offense, if you were to pick three running backs in the league that can keep Josh Allen off the field and drain the clock and just run it down your throat, I don't know that you could name three without starting with Henry. Vrabel knows that he's a real good coach very impressive what he's done that's another interesting game with a high spread
3: I want to go back to your Patriots one I do like that one too though because Bill Belichick owns Mike Tomlin too in his career Mike Tomlin had one win I think in 2018 when they couldn't tackle Juju or something late in the game and the Steelers ended up winning They got in the field goal range but beyond that since 2011 That's how long ago it was, since the Steelers won up until just recently in 2018.
0: To add another log to that fire you're throwing out there, that's Big Ben. This is now Mitchell Trubisky. Again, I'm not making the call on the game, I'm just saying if you were to give an underdog a look in a place to take points. In a really good coach, underrated in odd spots. What you just described was Belichick against Big Ben. You're talking a healthy Big Ben. You're not talking senior citizen last year, Kane limping on the field, Big Ben.
3: Limping on the field, senior citizen. That might be what Joe Flacco's at at this point with the Jets.
0: I trust Joe to not give the game away, though. And I trust Joe to do more than 147-yard Jacoby Brissett. The Browns, they're probably going to need to win in a theft type fashion like what the Chiefs did against the Chargers because I like this Jets roster. I I like them better out of the two New York teams than than the Giants. I don't think that both New York teams are going to lose. I I don't think Saquon Barkley is going to put up a 170 burger again.
3: I hope he does but I'm kind of with you on that front just because it might be tough with the way the Panthers outside rushers are in terms of that much yardage. It's not out of the realm just because as well the Panthers also gave up 141 yards last week to Nick Chubb, so it's very interesting how that could end up working out. Worldwide West.
0: Thanks, Wes. Always be cashing, fellas.
2: Worldwide West, ladies and gentlemen. If you're not listening to this segment, well, then you're not making any money, guys. He has been dead on on all his picks. If you haven't checked out this topic, this segment, you better start checking it out as Worldwide West is is killing it right now and banking for all you guys. So definitely check out this segment every single week. Thank you, Wes. When we come back, we have our special guest. We will be talking to SB Nation, blogging the boys, editor-in-chief, RJ Ochoa, here on The Weekend Crutch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is The Weekend Crouch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to iOS. WWSRN or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We've had him on the show a couple of times and why not have him on again to speak a little Dallas Cowboy football as Dak Prescott could be out six to eight weeks and I'm sure he has a lot to say. We're now talking to SB Nation blogging the boys editor-in-chief, RJ Ochoa. Mr.
1: RJ, what's going on, bud? It's great to be with you guys. Contrary to popular belief, I'm in a stellar mood. I was able to secure a PS5 finally over the weekend, so I've got that going for me. Outside of that, it's a little bit grim as far as entertainment is concerned.
2: That will definitely sell to all the cowboy haters. How are you feeling? Uh, The last time we had you on, COVID was going on. How are you and your family with
3: that?
1: All good. Thank God. Everything's great. My wife and I have an almost 10-month-old son. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you. It's been a really fun almost year just kind of watching him learn and grow and become a little person. And so our family's really full and everything else just just kind of falls at the wayside when you put it into
0: perspective that way.
2: So why don't we get into your cowboys because there's a lot of interest interesting takes I've been hearing all over social media, especially the cowboy haters that are absolutely enjoying this because Dak is going to be out six to eight weeks. Jerry Jones thinks he's only going to be out for four weeks, but Jerry Jones thinks he's a doctor. Obviously, we've seen some stupid things that have come out of Jerry Jones's mouth over the off season. So why don't we get into it? How bad is Dak Prescott's finger? One. And two, how long does Jerry Jones really think he's going to be out for?
1: Well, I'm not a doctor either. My medical diagnosis should be trusted no more than Jerry's in that sense. In situations like this, I think you have to trust the medical professionals and the voices of the national big-time insiders and, and everyone, every prominent insider on the local beat, every prominent insider on the national beat. We live in such a great day and age where there's so many like Twitter doctors, and I mean actual doctors, like actual PhDs, not people playing doctor, are able to kind of analyze and assess and in their own way diagnose what's going on. Six to eight weeks is 99 out of 100 people believe that. The hundredth is seemingly Jerry Jones. Six to eight weeks also lines up. Most logically with the Cowboys schedule, if it did wind up being on on the longer end of that spectrum, it would put Dak Prescott out through the bye so you can actually give him a little bit longer time, kind of formulate your plan from a football perspective. I would guess that. My my own personal read on the situation is I don't think we see Dak Prescott until the Cowboys go to Lambeau Field after their bye. As far as what Jerry thinks, there was no mention of four weeks until Jerry does two (laughs) weekly radio hits on the home of the Cowboys 105 through the fan because why wouldn't he? As a content creator, I'm certainly grateful for it, but in his first one on Tuesday morning a few hours before that the first mention of four weeks popped up and it was Tom Pellicero of NFL Network Tom is awesome does an amazing job I think it's worth mentioning if you recall the McCarthy Project specials that were airing Tom Pellicero was the person who did that who went to McCarthy's barn and put all that together Tom Pellicero last year had a one-on-two interview exclusively with Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott out a training camp so somebody who is clearly very close. The first person to report that four-week timeline, then Jerry Jones reiterated it himself. It would be a grave mistake to do that, to rush Dak back, back. I don't know how the Cowboys have a record that's kind of worth standing or salvaging, if you will, even four weeks from now. Our pet's heads are falling off. I mean, this this is <laughs> DEFCON 1.
3: How do you think, whenever he comes back, that he will come back? Because he also had the ankle injury a couple years ago, too. Now having the hand injury, thumb injury. Do the Cowboys have to ease him in, or do you think they go full throttle depending
1: on what the record is? I think it would have to be full throttle. If you look at the their schedule. We all think they're losing to the Bengals, so they're 0 and 2. I think if we're being generous, they split the, the two divisional games after that between the Giants and the Commanders. That puts them at one and three. They're losing out west to the Rams. They're one and four. They're losing to the Eagles on Sunday night. They're one and five. And then again, I'll be generous and say they split those Lions and Bears games. So they're two and six. Who knows what the division looks like? Maybe the Eagles are running away with it. Maybe the Commanders have kind of found their footing, you know, obviously one and no oh so far as well. Everybody is. I don't know how they wouldn't rush him back, but it is difficult. And I don't mean to make excuses for Dak, it is difficult to properly evaluate. Evaluate him. I don't know that the Dak injury is as devastating to people in the non-obvious ways just because it went predictably bad. If you follow anybody who creates Cowboys content, it was going to be this way. The way they built their team, their offensive line was shoddy, their receiver group was really shallow. What a big surprise. Dak Prescott was running for his life having to throw into triple coverage and so he looked really bad. It was among the worst games that he's ever played as the quarterback of the Cowboys. It's the first game since last season. And the second half of last season was really bad for him. We're a long ways removed from him playing some elite football. I don't know if that means that the elite quarterback that he once used to be is gone forever. I don't know if, if the offense and the creativity and the talent around him has just withered. This isn't just the quarterback's hurt. They are in a very toxic sort of place as an overall team right now.
2: We are talking to SB Nation's blogging, the boys' editor-in-chief, R.J. Ochoa. So we're looking at quarterbacks that could be available. There's a name of Cam Newton out there. Maybe he's expendable quarterback that you can bring in that could possibly help you for the next couple of weeks. Maybe Tyrod Taylor reaching out to the Giants. I don't know if the Giants are going to help the Dallas Cowboys, but Tyrod Taylor, a permittable quarterback that could play the position. Ryan Fitzpatrick. I've been hearing Colin Kaepernick's name, too, and that's something Jerry Jones would do, something crazy. So is there any quarterback that you have heard through the grapevine where maybe they decide, hey, maybe we'll bring this guy in. He'll help us out for the next couple of weeks.
1: I don't think so. The party line is Cooper Rush won his only start the oh, Dallas God, Cowboys in Sunday Night Football game a year ago against the Minnesota Vikings. You know, I'm a big believer in the Vikings personally this year. The greatness that we saw from the Vikings a week ago is proof positive of how Mike Zimmer trapped that team for so long. And so, you know, Cooper Rush didn't beat the Vikings a year ago on Sunday Night Football. Mike Zimmer held them back, and Cooper Rush was just able to kind of pull some strings and hang on for the ride. You could argue that that winning that game has served to the detriment of the Cowboys because they have talked themselves into Cooper Rush because he won that game. This is a position that they forever don't take seriously. I love the way a lot of teams handle backup quarterback. I loved that the Eagles traded for Gardner Minshew a year ago. I loved that the Buffalo Bills signed Mitchell Trubisky a year ago. I applauded the Cowboys two years ago when they signed Andy Dalton. That's the archetype I think you want. The young guy who's been there, done that, has some starts, obviously has seen it at the NFL level, just isn't a bona fide starter anymore. You cannot rely on a lottery ticket. That's what the Cowboys are doing. They're relying on Cooper Rush. Somebody who this regime cut before they signed Andy Dalton actually two years ago. He found his way back and they're going to stick this thing out. I mean, consider that after Tyron Smith got hurt that was already a mess because it was predictable and they had no depth because their their swing tackle options had been so poor in the preseason it took them two weeks to sign Jason Peters you would have thought that even after everything they didn't do at tackle that the day Tyron Smith got hurt they would have said okay white flags up we got to do it we have to bring in somebody we're up against so we painted ourselves into a corner no they waited two weeks till Monday of last week was when they officially signed him, and so they have no intentions of doing anything here. Cooper Rush is their guy, and then when it doesn't work, they'll say he has to step up. He has to do more. CeeDee Lamb has to step up. Zeke Gulley has to step up. It's everybody else's fault.
3: One of our Cowboys fans was actually mad they drafted CeeDee Lamb and wanted to draft Xavier McKinney, so maybe the Giants could trade Tyron Taylor and McKinney for C.D. Lamb. <laughs>
1: <That's>
3: <laughs> never going to happen. I know it's never, never. going to happen, but who knows? The NFC East does crazy things. So I wanted to ask you now about Mike McCarthy. His days back to Green Bay, too. He's always been a pass first guy using a lot of the three receiver sets, and now they're kind of in the situation where they're going to have to do the opposite. Now they have two running backs that are definitely capable. Obviously, Zeke's not what he was, but do you think that'll have to be the adjustment to try to play more like 2016 where Dak, he was rookie of the year, but above average, but not great quarterback? By the way, Zeke the should have been rookie of the year that year. Do you think they have to go to back to that style, or do you think they have to maybe try to adjust with McCarthy?
1: You would think that their offensive line is banged up. Tyler Smith, to his credit, played well at left tackle, but Tyler Smith was supposed to be this team starting left guard before Tyron Smith. Got hurt so tyler smith gets hurt tyler smith has to kick out to left tackle so they promote Connor McGovern, who was supposed to be their highest point of interior depth. Connor McGovern suffers a high ankle sprain against the Buccaneers. So now they're down to their third option at left guard, their second option at left tackle. They're kind of talking like they want to bench their right tackle and Terrence Steele in favor of Jason Peters, who they seemingly signed to play left tackle. But now because their first-round pick rookie had a great one-game performance, now all of a sudden they're willing to plant him there and move Jason Peters over. So theoretically, I agree with you. None of this matters because the Cowboys don't use both of their running backs. People are kind of dragging Tony Pollard this week because, hey, look, he finally got some touches, didn't pick up yards. That game was a disaster. Like, it wasn't a fair opportunity for Tony Pollard. And beyond that, the Cowboys insist on triple option, reverse pitches to incorporate Tony (laughs) Pollard. Just hand him the ball. They do not believe in utilizing fast, special, dynamic players. And you got to run the ball. You got to get creative. Kevontae Turpin Mm -hmm. had two return touchdowns in the preseason. Watch out. They're going to use him on offense. Zero offensive touches against the Buccaneers last week. So they want to live and die by feeding Zeke, and maybe that works. But there is a mountain of evidence and data to suggest that it won't. But, hey, maybe they are the one out of 100.
2: We are talking to SB Nation blogging the boys, editor-in-chief, R.J. Ochoa. Mike McCarthy, you mentioned him just a few moments ago. This could be his final year because there's a guy lurking in the woods or in the bushes, named Sean Payton. He is a guy that Jerry Jones loves very, very much. He's a guy that the Cowboys have been looking to bring in for years, even when he took that extension with the Saints. What have you heard over the last couple of weeks with Mike McCarthy's job? Is he on the plank right now, and is he going to jump if he doesn't get this team in the playoffs this year?
1: I'm not the biggest Mike McCarthy fan. Last year was impressive, but but the team really adopted this kind of bad energy complaining about officials and things like that and that really stemmed from him. The guy's got a Super Bowl ring, right? Like He can walk and talk in ways that a lot of people can't in this industry. So while I'm not a big fan of his, I feel greatly for him on on a human level. He was put in such a difficult position this year with the way the Cowboys built this roster. Chris Collinsworth was dragging their team building philosophy on the broadcast. Like, name a team where that happens. Name a team where they're so openly questioned by the world. There's not a person out there who is like this was the right way to go you understand what's happening here so i feel for mike mccarthy the sean payton thing is really just fodder but it's fodder the joneses have created by their interest in him you mentioned that sean is lurking in the shadows i disagree sean knows what he's doing sean knows the game last week sean in previewing the cowboys buccaneers game went on kay adams as a new show and said dan quinn is awesome threw a lot of praise (laughs) around for dan didn't mention kellen moore's name didn't mention mike mccarthy's name sean knows how to dance i don't even know that i believe sean wants the cowboys job because why would you? if you're somebody who believes that the cowboys are sabotaging their super bowl winning head coach in the name of bringing somebody else in why would you want to get in bed with that but what i do believe is that sean payton wants another job maybe that's the dallas job if it becomes available and i believe that connecting yourself to the dallas cowboys is a profitable thing we see a lot of players do that in free agency and they wind up getting the bag elsewhere zadarius smith was one of the people who did it this offseason before he signed in minnesota they even said on the broadcast between the vikings and packers game that he specifically wanted to go to minnesota for the opportunity to play the the Packers twice. So why did we hear rumblings that he was connected to the Cowboys to up the price tag that the Vikings had to play? That's just kind of the way this thing goes. And so I don't know how this goes for McCarthy. If I simulated this a thousand times, I think it goes poorly a thousand times. There's just (laughs) not a way that he climbs his way out of this. I think the last smash the glass, press the panic button move that, that he kind of has is maybe firing Kellen Moore, who he was saddled with. Kellen Moore was in place before he got there. And he can objectively make the claim that, hey, look, I'm an offensive guy. Look at my pedigree. Look at the ring on my finger. You never let me run my offense. I had to do this thing with Kellen Moore. You know what, Mike, dude? Go out, swing it. Don't just sit here and watch this pitch. Take play calling back. And if it doesn't work, fine. But at least you can live with yourself knowing that you gave it your all. But if you're just going to stand by and watch Kellen Moore drive this thing into the ground, then maybe you weren't the dude who was supposed to be here. Sean
3: Payton might have been onto something. Kellen Moore was almost the <laughs> Dolphins' head coach. If Week 1's any indication, they made the right decision on their head coach. And Dan Quinn was almost the Vikings' head coach. And they did a great job in Week 1 with their coach. The Broncos not so much even though Quinn was close to going there. So my question is with Jerry Jones, you mentioned the team culture being a big issue, that he continues to reach on some players in the draft with off-field issues, Sam Williams being the latest one in that in the second round. So is that something that you think is going to be a big issue for the Cowboys too in terms of player development, trying to rebuild this roster, especially with some of the suspensions we've seen handed down now?
1: The Cowboys have avoided the suspension bug this year. They generally kind of have somebody for something or another. Sam Williams, I think, has done all the right things so far. And for what it's worth, Micah Parsons, that has worked out. They're obviously... A number of examples that have burned the Cowboys, but there have been examples of players who had no character concerns that worked out or didn't work out. The second round is all about value. It's all about trying to get immense value for the Cowboys. You can look historically at all of their second round picks. They're trying to get a second first round pick. This guy's really a first round pick. He would have gone in the first round if not for X, Y, or Z. They've done that for years. And Sam, I think, is going to be fine. They needed to do that. You know, they said they didn't draft for need. Their first three picks were an uh, interior lineman, a pass rusher in Sam Williams, and a wide receiver. Well, in the offseason. They let Lyle Collins go. They didn't re-sign Connor Williams along the offensive line. They traded away Amari Cooper, and they couldn't get things done with Randy Gregory. They literally addressed all of their needs, and so they spew this out like people don't have access to the internet. All you need is Wikipedia, and you can figure this out and (laughs) put this puzzle together. They really think that they're smarter than everybody else in that sense. You mentioned Sam Williams, but their other day two pick, Jalen Tolbert. All offseason long, we're not worried about Amari Walken. We're really excited about Jalen Tolbert. We really think he's going to be amazing, and I personally do as well, but he was a healthy scratch last week. And I don't think that that spells doom for his career. The Cowboys came out and said, well, we threw too much at him right away. Well, yeah, of course you did. You traded away Amari Cooper for nothing. You put this dude in a difficult situation. And so that kind of goes back to, well, now Jalen sucks because Jalen couldn't handle everything we threw at him. You know what Jalen wouldn't have to do if Amari Cooper were on this team? Everything. If if Amari Cooper were on this team, Jalen could come along at a slow, normal pace. Jerry Jones had the quote last week about one and one making three. They haven't made two out of one and one in I don't even know how long.
2: You were speaking about the wide receiver woes that the Cowboys have and there's a lot of woes there. C.D. Lamb he was getting double teamed last week he didn't look very very good you have Amari Cooper playing over there in Cleveland sayonara to him. There really is no second wide receiver. You lost Wilson as well in the offseason heads over there to Miami. There is nothing there without Dak Prescott. Who do they have that could throw the ball to C.D. Lamb and then throw it to these rookie wide receivers that are just growing into position. So where are the Cowboys at? Why don't they go after Denzel Mims. You could have gave the Jets a fourth round draft pick and added Denzel Mims and a guy that I believe could be a significant piece to the Cowboys offense and he's very good. The Jets are stupid
1: not having him in the game. Why aren't
2: the Cowboys doing something like that, making a move for Denzel Mims for a fourth round draft
1: pick? The questions you're asking are all headlines from blogandtheboys.com over the last few months. You asked who's the second player. It's Michael Gallup. Well, he's not playing right now. But again, they're continually relying on being the exception, being the one Three out of one and one. Don't panic. Don't worry about us not having receivers. Michael Gallup, he's coming back from a torn ACL. He's going to be amazing. And he might be. There's a timeline or a multiverse where Michael Gallup returns and all of a sudden goes off for 200 yards a game. That's possible. It's also possible that because he tore his ACL last year, he kind of needs some time to get back into the groove of things. They signed James Washington. Whoa, watch out. Super awesome dude in Pittsburgh. But he really didn't have anybody to throw him the ball. Thank God we have Cooper Rush because now this dude's really working for something special. (laughs) James Washington was a big part of their plans, the way Jalen was. James Washington got hurt on like the third day of camp. So you would have thought. They would have said hey, this was a dumb plan and the plan fell apart. Let's go get a new plan. They didn't. James Washington was the faulty plan. They did do after that. They signed Kevonte Turpin. Don't worry guys. <laughs> We're going to get him offensive touches. Not a single one against the Buccaneers. They're relying on Dak Prescott saving them and CeeDee Lamb overcoming triple coverage because he's awesome. He's CeeDee Lamb. He's amazing. And he might be. He might be Calvin Johnson going off every single week. But the problem with them is they don't safeguard or plan for what if plan A goes wrong? What if plan B goes wrong? What if plans A through Y go wrong? They don't believe in that. They're a one-stop shop. Only the best possible things will happen. And if they don't, well, (laughs) hey, how is it really our fault? Plus, we were the highest rated game of the week, so we're doing fine. The lights are staying
3: (laughs) on. CeeDee Lamb could be Calvin Johnson. All he should do is gain 30 pounds of muscle and then just get that sticky stuff in Little Giants. And then maybe he'll be Calvin Johnson. There's still hope. (laughs) He doesn't have a chance. And (laughs) I I love C.D. Lamb. That's exactly (laughs) my point. So my question is about the defense. They actually played very well against the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers, granted, had some injuries offensively. Chris Godwin left the game after it seemed like he was going to be healthy after the bigot bad injury he had last year. But still, they actually played well, hung tough for a while. So what would impress you the most about that defense?
1: Their ability to kind of hang with Tom Brady. And I'm anxious to see what Tom looks like this week and what the Bucks offense looks like. If they go off against New Orleans, I'll feel better about that. It was nice to see Micah Parsons. We've talked so much about regression of the mean coming for him. Nice to see him get two sacks and, and kind of prove to be what will hopefully be an exception there. But cool. You got one of the hundred exceptions that you were banking on happening this year. So that was impressive, but that formula just isn't sustainable with this weak offense. You can't be the two thousand six Chicago Bears and just score on defense every single week and, and have your quarterback stay out of the way. How much do
2: you drink watching the Cowboys fall on their face each
1: year? I'm a big fan of hydration, so I'm all about the H two O. I'm a professional, so I've got a job to do during the game. I'd like to kick back and relax when the Cowboys aren't on prime time. Tomorrow, Thursday night football will be a nice night to have. Who knows what? I'm open to any kind of recipes you have. It's the fall. I want something that makes it feel warm inside my throat, especially when we get down to the World Series when the Astros are beating the Mets.
3: Astros are beating the Mets. Oh, he's an Astro fan. I'm a Mets fan, so
2: I hope it's gets oh, the other way around. Is that what you think the World Series is going to be? The Astros versus the Mets? Um, I like your
1: optimism. I thought that for a long time. That's what's been planted in my brain. Mm. Also, would be more interesting for me. Astros-Dodgers was cool. I would want to keep that precious memory. Like, that could be awesome to beat the Dodgers again and beat, and beat this Dodgers team. But let's mix it up. Always kind of cool when you get two teams with like the same color schemes. There'd be a lot of blue and orange happening. Like, what are you trying to rag- block- I mean, cool.
2: I hate both teams. Yeah. You would root for the
3: Mets.
1: I, I would, would
2: 100% you. <laughs> root for the Mets. I root for the Mets if the Yankees aren't in the playoffs. Out of all the teams that the opposite teams in New York, out of all the sports, I would root for the Mets because they never win. I want to see the Mets fans actually have a chance and have something to cheer about. The Yankees have cheered for years. Every single decade, the Yankees won a championship, except the last 11 years. Arrow's like also the,
3: still recovering from the NBA Finals when he had oh, to root good. for the Celtics oh, against please. the Warriors.
2: With professional sports, the way it's moving, and some of the crazy stuff, not only in basketball, but but now in football, baseball with the crap that we're hearing now, with the new rule changes. I'm tired of it. Just play the damn game. I'm already looking for week two because after watching week number one and all the upsets and me playing in my suicide pool and losing all three games, i am just completely had it with the NFL season already. And watching the Jets just completely lay up a, die- I didn't think the Jets were going to win. The way they played throughout the game, it made me sick to my stomach. I'd rather watch the Cowboys play than watch the Jets.
1: I put the misery we're experiencing up there. I'd caution you to be jealous of- this life but in a weird way if the cowboys were gonna be this disastrous do this in week one allow me to emotionally disconnect i'll come in and enjoy the game but you've recalibrated our expectations we can let go of the foolish hey maybe they win this but it's possible no like now i'm free i can enjoy the vikings I can enjoy the World Series when it gets here. I cannot worry about all this extra stuff going on. I am like Dobby the Elf and the Cowboys gave me a piece of
0: clothing.
2: Now you can watch all the Netflix series that you've missed. Stranger Things, The Imperfects. There's some interesting series now. So when you're sick of watching the Cowboys play, you pop on a series and enjoy that, you and your wife. And you sit down with, what's your son's name? Roel. Roel, okay. You and little Roel, you have him in your arms and just enjoy Stranger Things or something. Have you watched Stranger Things?
1: I haven't finished season three. That admittedly felt at the wayside, so at this point, I'm a little too far out, but there's other stuff. we got lots of options. If
3: there's an Astros-Mets World Series, we'll bring you back on the show if you predict that. that I like your optimism. I'm a Mets fan, but I have some worries about them. I do not want to see the Astros in a World Series again. I don't want to get sick. So my question is about Ezekiel Elliott. There was a rumor about a month ago that it seemed like no matter how he performed this year, they were going to either let him go at the end of the season or maybe trade him at the trade deadline. So what are your thoughts on that?
1: I can't see a world where they trade Zeke. Steven Jones did make a comment after the draft about making a lot of money. So they're clearly very aware that they can get out of the contract. I think that they have finally recognized it was not the most wise move as far as team building strategy is concerned. Tony Pollard is a <laughs> free agent in the offseason. So I think they move on entirely. And I think if they are looking for a new head coach, I think we're seeing a complete outside of Dak Prescott, CeeDee Lamb, Micah, the kind of obvious young dudes and the quarterback. We're seeing a complete and total reset. And there's a huge argument to be made that they kind of need that.
2: RJ, we really appreciate you joining us. And I'm going to write a letter to Jerry and I'm going to ask him to hire you as the GM because there's a lot of them emotion coming from you, and I think you have a little bit more understanding on how a team should be run, because for some reason, Jerry Jones has his you-know-what up his rear end, and he thinks that, hey, you know what, I'm gonna pull out some daisies here, and this is gonna work, and that's going to work, and we'll win the Super Bowl, and maybe put my football team into the MLB, and try to win a World Series. I have no idea what this man thinks, but there's a lot of craziness coming out of that man's mouth. Unfortunately, it doesn't bode well for Cowboy fans, but thank you for joining us, my friend.
1: I appreciate it. I'll be GM of the Cowboys and in my spare time, GM of the Astros. Because, look, Dusty, play Trey Mancini. Put him at first. We all love Yuli. We're all grateful, but we're after hits. Let Christian Vasquez, catch. Maldi's nice. Glad he's friends with the team. Dusty's after- older
2: than dirt. <laughs> but, but he's so younger hits. than Jerry.
1: <laughs> I appreciate you guys having me. I hope you enjoy the fall. It is a fun time, obviously, even if your teams like ours are disappointing. So health, wealth, and happiness to you guys.
2: Absolutely. Thank you you. too, and your son and your family. Say hello to your wife. We'll get you on before the season's over. Maybe the Cowboys prove you wrong. Maybe. Maybe they do win a couple Now, just of remember, Astros-Mets World
3: Series. If that happens, I, he's on.
1: I would love that. Yeah, I'll be here. We're all pretty confident the Astros are winning the American League. I'm oh, sorry. Oh, who's I'll confident? Be... Hold
3: on one second.
2: I'm Uh-oh. not confident. I'm I a mean, Yankee fan. Hold I hope on. you
1: enjoy the season of Aaron Judge that will be squandered. But that's okay. Oh. Well, have our... well, we'll let's have that
2: and... I guess we'll have this Twitter attacking war when the playoffs start. And if I, somehow the I, Yankees I, knock off your Houston Astros, maybe we'll fly over there to Dallas and you'll take us out for food and some of that Dallas barbecue. How's that sound?
1: I'm down with that i really think we need a astros yankees alcs yes. like let's just do it i'm gonna be so disappointed if like the blue jays ruin this or something not... but all right y'all have a great week y'all um, roll tide, yeah. tide. <laughs> rj
3: ochoa boy
2: oh boy speedy he looks like he's in a bad mood
3: Well, he said he was in a good mood at the beginning of the interview, so it can't be that bad, but when it comes to the Dallas Cowboys, he wants to be the GM. I'm the one who told. Seal of (laughs)
2: approval. I would reach out to Jerry Jones and just say, listen, you're not working out. Nobody else is working out. I'll I'll give you somebody. He's a big fan. He's doing your blogging. He's doing SB Nation's blogging for your organization. Why not hire him to be your GM? I could be the GM. I think I could get this team to win. Everybody's going to blame Dak Prescott. Everybody's going to blame this guy because he can't stay healthy. That is not his fault. And right now, this team isn't good enough, so even if Dak was healthy, this team isn't good enough. I don't know why anybody thought they were going to win 11 or 12 games this year. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Steve, we're looking at you. <laughs> when we come back, some baseball conversation as Aaron Judge might not only hit the home run record, but could have the Triple Crown as well. When we come back, we'll get into Aaron Judge and the New York Yankees and the lonely New York Mets that are not winning in a very important time as they're chasing greatness in the National League East. A lot of Yankees and a lot of Mets here on The Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Sarah Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. World Wide Sports Radio Network. Well, the Yankees are hot. Who's to say that? We remember a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about what an absolute debacle the Yankees have been. They couldn't hit. They couldn't pitch. Now, all of a sudden, they're one of the hottest teams in baseball, and they're getting timely hitting. And why not? Their best hitter is right now, four home runs away from tying Roger Maris's record, five and breaking it. And right now, Aaron Judge is hitting at 310 for the New York Yankees. And he has a chance right now to be the triple crown winner. This is a fantastic story. A guy that decided to bet on himself in the offseason did not take the $213 million extension the Yankees were going to give him. And he decided to bet on himself. Then arbitration, $19 million. I thought he should have received more. But nevertheless... He is a Yankee still, might not be a Yankee at the end of the season, but looks like could make about $300 million in the offseason.
3: Yeah, at this point, it's going to be a minimum $300 million, unless it's like a super short contract that's like $50 million a year for like five years that he wouldn't, but I don't think that scenario is out there. It's going to be a minimum seven years. It's going to be a minimum $300 million. and it's going to be a very interesting offseason now. We've heard the Red Sox now are going to aggressively pursue him. You never know with the Yankees-Red Sox rivalry what they're going to do. They might put... Push hard if the ownership gets their way. I don't know with their GM and Heim Bloom coming from the Rays if they're going to have that kind of philosophy, but the ownership we know they love to spend money, and if they're not going to get him, they're going to make the Yankees overpay, that's for sure. And then we've heard the Giants, we've heard the Angels too, in that mix as well. This is going to be a very interesting offseason for Aaron Judge, but yeah, on his way to a triple crown you mentioned him, 8 percentage points of batting right behind Luis Arias of the Minnesota Twins. That would be the only thing they have to overcome. He's way in the lead in home runs, no question about that. And then RBI is 123 right now, which is absolute insane and now the OPS, which I mentioned last week, was right on the cusp of 1.1, now over 1.1 for the season, which is the highest so far we've seen in the StatCast era.
2: It's unbelievable, and that has a lot to do with his purpose on stepping on the field and being the face of this organization. I don't know what's going to happen to Aaron Judge in the offseason. He could go to San Francisco and go home. A lot of people believe he was, and I've been saying it really for the last two years. That's where he was going. But maybe that was the reason why he didn't take the extension, not because it wasn't worth the money that he was getting. Maybe he just thought that he didn't want to be in New York. He wants to go home. Maybe it's the Boston Red Sox. Maybe he wants to go to Fenway Park and win a championship with the Red Sox. I don't know what he's thinking in his head. I do know he got married in the offseason. I do know he wants children. He's a big family man. So it could be San Francisco. The Giants opened up a lot of salary room to bring in a player of that magnitude but it's just amazing. What the Yankees are doing right now without Rizzo, without some of their pitching. They've lost a couple of Pitchers. Now they're bringing Savarino back. He's coming back. Nestor Cortez is coming back. So they're getting healthy at the right time, and now they're starting to hit. Now the question is, going into the playoffs, are they better off playing in the wild card game and not sitting out for a week? Or are they better off taking the bye for a week and sitting out and getting healthy? I don't know what this Yankee team is is going to do, as far as I'm concerned, offensively in the playoffs. We've seen what they've done in the last couple of years. It hasn't been good. The only two players that have hit in the playoffs is Glaber Torres and Giancarlo Stanton. Everybody else have not hit in the playoffs. So it's going to be very interesting, as far as I'm concerned, with the New York Yankees and where the Yankees are going to take this. This is a very important year. If they want Aaron Judge to stay, they have to go all the way to the World Series or even win it. Aaron Judge, if he wins a championship, why would he leave the Yankees? Why would he leave a World Series champion? Why would he leave a world-class organization that finally won a championship since 2009? If the Yankees want to keep him and they want to pursue a guy like Aaron Judge and sell him the Yankees again... You got to go out there and try to win a championship. That's so very important. And then there's the Mets, Speedy. I know you're a Mets fan, so I want to know your opinion. Where do you see this Mets team? I know there's two and a half weeks
3: left of baseball, and they haven't looked good. No, they're sitting in slump like the Yankees did when it came to their offense in August. Now the Mets are hitting it here in September, really, outside of... Canna, who's hit well in September, and Eduardo Escobar, who's actually had a nice hitting streak. Nobody else is hitting right now. Pete Alonso, striking out a lot. Francisco Lindor has been kind of up and down when it comes to consistency factor. And the Mets are doing this against these god-awful teams. The Pirates, the Cubs, the Cubs of all teams sweeping the Mets. With a lot of guys on... Their pitching staff injured. They're doing it against these farmhand, September call-up starting pitchers, and the Cubs of all teams sweep them. The Nationals a couple weeks ago, not good. They can't be playing down to these teams and be able to expect to do well in this postseason. Just the hitting in general, which has been a deep lineup for a while, is all of a sudden flamed out. Daniel Vogelbach, a guy that was a great trade-of-the-line acquisition, that was great for August in a slump now. Tyler Naquin hasn't been hitting. Now he's been on the bench. He's had to play more because Marte's now hurt, but still, not a good sign. And the catching position, since McCann's come back too, offensively, has just been god-awful. It's, I think, the second worst in the league right now, and obviously the worst among contending teams. So, not a lot of things to like if you're the Mets. And then, there's the problems I've always had with them. Lack of lefty depth, bullpen inconsistencies that haven't been good. Health! Health, yeah. The Mets have always an average of 10 injuries at a time, but who knows at this point. But still, Max Scherzer being hurt. Not at the idea. Time, I guess better now than in the postseason, but still, this team is He definitely... might not be
2: 100%, and ever since his first injury this year, he might not be at 100%. And I've said this already, he is an old player. If it was a 34, 33-year-old Max Scherzer, that's different. The man's 37 years old. Mm -hmm. He's an old guy, and he is going to fight injury for the next two to three years when you have him. I still believe he's one of the more dominant pitchers when he's on the mound, but you don't know what you're going to get in the playoffs. Remember, he had a dead shoulder in the playoffs last year. Who's to say his lat is 100%? We have seen these lat problems with the New York Mets, a.k.a. Noah Syndergaard. It didn't work. And now all of a sudden Noah Syndergaard's on Philadelphia and Philadelphia is winning and by the way they have the final wild card spot. I think right now when you look at where the Mets are, you have to win this division. You do not want the Braves to take over this division and go into the wild card game where there's no guarantees to the wild card game this year.
3: Right, And the Mets are structured right now where they're they're better off for playing for the rest right now because they've been a very inconsistent offense. It would be a, at least if they could weather the storm and win the division, they, then their bats have a time to refocus, recalibrate. I think they got overconfident at certain points in these games where they've played down to them too. As far as the Max Scherzer injury, I think that's a big reason why that the Mets have really fallen off and the other pitchers really haven't stepped up right now. And also a big reason why I think he got a more... Larger contract per year rather than getting the five-year deal, too. is The Mets were definitely concerned about this. Now this is his second injury this year. He got the three-year deal for $43 million a year. They kept that in mind, especially now with Jacob deGrom, too, now having to be paid at the end of the season as well. So they're going to have to keep that in mind. But Jacob deGrom, since he's come back, has been very healthy as well and really has only had one iffy start so far. Oh, Jacob deGrom is
2: their best pitcher.
3: You have to make sure that he's the 100%
2: healthy pitcher out of all of them because I believe... Going into the playoffs, you want him in a seven-game series, if need be, to pitch three games. He's the guy. I know Max Scherzer has the strength and he has the ability to do it, but he is getting old. Jacob deGrom, he's the younger pitcher. You want the younger pitcher on the mound and the more dominant pitcher, and that is Jacob deGrom. The question is, is this team going to be 100% healthy? Is this team going to find their bats before the season's ends? Because if they don't and they go into the playoffs cold, it's going to be a big problem no matter if they win the division or they don't. I don't know what to say about the Mets right now. The Braves are very dangerous. The Cardinals are playing great baseball right now. Right now, San Diego's starting to win. And then there's the Dodgers and Philadelphia, which we just mentioned. And the Yankees playing Milwaukee last night. They're trying to squeak into the playoffs. So who knows what could happen with this race? The National League race is so interesting because there are so many good teams in the National League. In the American League... There's really three. The Yankees, Houston, Seattle. That's it. The other teams, they're questions. The Blue Jays, they're playing good baseball, but there's a lot of questions to that pitching staff. And then Tampa, which are healthy now, but are they going to stay healthy if they squeak into the playoffs? So many questions in the American League. Less of the questions in the National League. We know who's good, and we know who's going to be challenging the Mets, the Braves, and all those teams all the way to the end. When we come back, Speedy, what do we got? We got three for all picks of the week and then crunch time. Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Peeny. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9. The LI News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, which is Apple, and searching WWSRN or Android and searching the Play Store and looking up World Wide Sports Radio Network.
3: Speedy, are you ready for the free-for-all picks of the week? Yes, here we go. So, score update from last week. You are in the lead right now. The Kansas City Chiefs annihilating the Arizona Cardinals. That was the one point that you got that I didn't get. We both got the Chargers right. I got the Vikings team right, but I did not get the over-under. So, it is to 2-1 arrow right now. So, we'll start with the Miami Dolphins and the Baltimore Ravens. 44-and-a-half over-under. I'm going to take the Ravens in this one. I think this game will be close. I think the Dolphins showed a lot offensively last week. against a good, not-great Patriots defense. But the pass-catching running backs were a concern for the Ravens. You saw the Jets do that a lot in week one. And Miami's got two good ones with Miles Gaskin and Chase Edmonds, who's one of the better ones in the league. So I think that'll keep it close. But I don't see the receivers having the same impact like they did in week one against the Patriots against that Ravens secondary. So I think the Ravens win it close. I'm going to take them on the under. First game in Baltimore,
2: and J.K. Dobbins will be playing on Sunday. And I think it's going to play a big part of where this offense is going to go. It's going to open up the field for Andrews, I think is going to be explosive. Lamar Jackson showed me why he should be paid in the offseason, really should. Miami is going to put up a fight to a look really, really good in week one. So did Tyreek Hill and Waddle. But I think the Baltimore Ravens showed you why they're going to be one of the better defenses in the NFL, because they're going to put pressure on the quarterback. I think Tua's going to have a big problem,
3: especially with that offensive line. Give me the Ravens on the under. Alright, second game will be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the New Orleans Saints. 44 is the over-under for this game, and I'm taking the upset for this one. I'm taking the New Orleans Saints. They impressed me a lot in the second half in against the Atlanta Falcons. No Chris Godwin for the Buccaneers, which is the guy that usually has done well against the Saints, because Mike Evans against Marshawn Lattimore in his career has definitely not been doing well. Marshawn Lattimore has had his number, which is weird for a guy that's 30 pounds less than him. Mike Evans is a big body guy, but yet Lattimore owns him. And I think Alva Kamara has a big game in this one, pass catching wise, especially to counter those blitzes. The Saints offensive line, I think does a good job, just holds their own enough. And that defense, fantastic. And they will do the rest against Tom Brady, who struggled against them. So I'll take the Saints in the upset on the under.
2: I got Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to pull off the win. I'm not going to bet against Tom Brady until Tom Brady loses. And Tom Brady, With the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a lot of people are expected to play well this year. And I I like their running game. I like their defense. I think they have a lot of depth. And I expect them to show up in this game with their wide receivers and Evans and Julio Jones,
3: and make a splash in this game. I have the Buccaneers on the under. All right, last one, Monday Night Football. Minnesota Vikings at the Philadelphia Eagles. 50 and a half is the over-under for this game. I love the Vikings. I hope they win, but I'm taking the Eagles in this one. I In Philadelphia, a tough place to play, and I think the Eagles have a couple good matchups offensively to look for. Like I was saying with the Dolphins, I think the pass-catching running backs will be a big factor. Eric Kendricks can't cover everybody, and the Vikings have a lot of other young linebackers. I think Dallas Goddard, I think, is a tough matchup for that team. And I do think... A.J. Brown against some iffy Vikings quarters could be a good matchup as well, making some tough catches. Vikings offense will do well in this game, but the Eagles can stop the run and can rush the passer on the inside. I think that'll do just enough. They win it close, and they win it definitely on the over. I think this is going to be a shootout.
2: I think the Eagles have a lot of depth. I really do. I think they have the wide receivers. I think boosting up the secondary in the offseason. I love what I've seen from their young quarterback and Jalen Hurts. He was fantastic in week one. I expect him to be good in week number two. Minnesota coming to Philadelphia is going to be a big problem it's not in minnesota it definitely is advantage when they play in minnesota i think justin jefferson's gonna have a good game i think Thielen will have even a better game because the eagles are gonna double team and try to take justin jefferson out but i like the eagles in this game i have this game a uh, high scoring game too i have the eagles two on the over i think this is gonna be a fun game i think it'll be close i think both teams are gonna put up the points but i think because the eagles are home the advantage goes to them i have
3: the eagles on the over. All right, that will conclude our three for all picks of the week for week number two. And now we transition to Crunch Time.
0: It's time for Crunch Time. Need to Got to see the pick.
3: So we end with the three-for-all picks with the Eagles-Vikings game. Why not start crunch time with the Eagles-Vikings game? Buy or sell? Both Justin Jefferson and A.J. Brown has five-plus catches and 100-plus yards.
2: I buy it. I think both players are very, very good. I love what Brown did in week number one. I know Smith is going to be explosive now that A.J. Brown is on the other side of the field. But I think A.J. Brown against Minnesota is going to be able to open up the field for himself and go out there and maybe score a touchdown in this game. I like A.J. Brown. And Justin Jefferson,
3: even if you double-team him, I don't know if you're going to be able to stop him. So... I buy it. Absolutely buying it. I mentioned it's a high-scoring game. Now, I don't think A.J. Brown's going to be the leading receiver. I think that will be Goddard in this game, but I do think A.J. Brown does get 100 yards. Five-plus catches for sure. He was targeted a lot week one. Actually, more than I expected with the way Nick Sirianni likes to coach sometimes, but I definitely buy that. And Justin Jefferson, absolutely fantastic in week one. Finally seeing what he is in a modern offense. I'm going to buy that as well. All right. By our cell, number 13 Miami covers minus six and a half on the road at Texas A&M. Absolutely.
2: Texas A&M. I don't know what's going on with them. I think I think Fisher will be looking for a new job very, very soon if he keeps on coaching this team the way he has. I absolutely buy it. I don't know what Texas A&M is, so I'm going to buy it.
3: I'm going to buy it, too. Now, I don't think they win. I think Texas A&M will still win, yes. but I do think they will cover. I think Miami, they're losing their top receiver in this game, which I think will hurt. I know their quarterback in Van Dyke has played very well so far this season, but I do think that'll hurt them just enough. Texas A&M really did not struggle that badly defensively against Appalachian State, but the offense is still a mess. Now, Mac Johnson will be playing, so it should be a little better, but I do do think it still will take some growing pains in that game. So I think A&M wins, but I'm going to buy Miami covers for sure. All right, buy or sell. Marlon Humphrey and the Ravens defense will limit Tyree Kill under 75 yards receiving. I'm going to buy that. I don't
2: know what Tyreek Hill is. He didn't have 100 yards last week either. I really think Tyreek Hill is a little overrated as a player, and I think with Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes made him a better wide receiver than is going to make him. I still think Tyreek Hill is going to have a good season, but I believe Humphreys is one of the more underrated corners in football, so I think he keeps him under 100 yards in week number two.
3: I absolutely buy it too. I have physical play for Marlon Humphrey too. One of the best physical type corners in the league against Tyree Kill. Again, Tyree Kill, he could beat press coverage. I'm not saying that he's had trouble with that in his career, but I think the Ravens game planning definitely saw with a new defensive coordinator has done a very good job and I think they're going to do a better job at following Tyree Kill unlike some of the other corners we've seen. So I am going to buy it. All right, back to college football. Nebraska, hell froze over for them. Scott Frost finally got fired. They have an interim coach now in Mickey Joseph. By or sell, they come at home, minus 11 against Oklahoma. I sell it. Why did they fire their head coach?
2: Because they can't win. So what makes anybody believe their assistant coach is going to be any better? I'm selling
3: that they're not going to cover with Oklahoma. I agree with you. I'm going to sell it too. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be a massive blowout because Oklahoma's offense really hasn't shown much yet either. Dylan Gabriel, new quarterback in there, left-handed quarterback that has had a rough first half so far, really overcoming more in the second half. But I do think they're enough to be able to get it to a 17 to 20 point margin. And I love Brent Venables as that coach. He's done massive things already with with that defense, so I am going to sell it. All right, buy or sell. White Sox now with an interim manager. No Tony LaRusso probably for the rest of the year. He's dealing with health conditions. They will miss the playoffs right now three games back.
2: 100%. They're not making the playoffs. Cleveland's going to win that division and sayonara to Tony LaRusso who will probably retire at the end of the year. So I buy that they're not making the playoffs. Yeah,
3: I'm going to buy it too. As weird as it sounds, I love the White Sox at the beginning of the year, but they just can't get any consistency going with their pitching. Outside of Dylan Cease, who's a Cy Young candidate. They have really had no consistency with Giolito, with Copec, anyone like that. And they're hitting, they're good, but again, I think it'll be too little too late. So I am going to buy it as well. All right, buy or sell, the Saints will hold Tom Brady under 250 yards and only two passing touchdowns.
2: I'm selling that. I think Tom Brady will have three touchdowns in the game. And I think Tom Brady will win the game. I don't know if he throws over 250 yards, but I think he throws three touchdowns. He finds a way. Those short passes are known for Tom Brady's repertoire, so I
3: am going to sell that. I'm going to buy this one. I'm disagreeing with you for the first time, which is weird in this segment, but yeah, that's a big reason why I have the Saints winning. I, that secondary is loaded right now. I think without Chris Godwin, Mike Evans will definitely get that kind of attention. Can Russell Gage or Julio Is Mike Jones. Evans playing? Yeah, he's playing, but Marshall Lattimore is to his career, and I think it's going to stay that way, because Lattimore looked good in week one as well, so I think you're looking at a case where I think that'll end up being the case. This will be a low-scoring game. There's a reason I took the under. I am going to buy it. All right, last one for college football. BYU, number 12. They just beat Baylor last week. They'll continue their rank streak at Oregon, number 25.
2: I buy it. I think BYU is a very good team, and they're showing it. They have a good, good young quarterback. They have a very good defense. I like what I've seen with
3: BYU, so I'm going to buy it. I'm going to sell it. I, I think they're going to hang tough, but I, I don't know if they're going to win outright. Oregon is a team that I think has had a lot of transition with losing Mario Cristobal. They haven't defense. had a good season. They haven't had a good season so far, but I do think they still have a lot of talent on that defense, and I do think Dan Lanning, who comes from that Georgia coach staff will finally get going. I think BYU is a little bit of a letdown. It'll be close, but I am going to sell it. Alright, last NFL one. Both Antonio Gibson and DeAndre Swift will have 100 or more scrimmage yards in their matchup.
2: I sell it. I think Gibson will. I don't think Swift will. Swift is not the only running back on that team. They have multiple running backs that are going to carry the ball. I think Gibson is the only sole running back that's going to touch the ball as much as he is. So I'm going to sell it. I'm
3: going to buy it. Remember, no Chase Young for Washington right now. Their outside rushing depth, definitely not the same. I did not like the way their linebackers played in a lot of the week one games against Jacksonville. I think Swift does get it. You're right. I think Gibson will probably hit a little more in this game just because Detroit's outside rushing is just not that good at all outside of Hutchinson. But I think they both get it. I am going to buy it. All right, last one. Aaron Judge, by at this point next week on our show, will tie Roger Maris' home run record.
2: Sell it. No. It's going to take at least two weeks. He's going to have to play at the end of the season. That's why the Yankees have him batting first. They're trying to give him as many bats as they possibly can
3: so he has a chance to break that record. But no, I'm going to sell that. He will not. Yeah, I'm going to sell it too. Brewers too tough of pitching staff. I know that didn't show on Friday night, but I think that's going to make it tough. The Pirates, I think he'll feast on them in the three-game series of that. And then they play the Red Sox. I know they don't have great pitching on paper, but you damn well know they're not going to let Aaron Judge be that guy. They're not going to want be the team that does it to them, so I think it'll happen in the next series after that against the Blue Jays. I think that's what he'll break the record. I think he'll do it, barring injury, but it will not be at this point next week. I will sell it.
2: And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the final segment of the show. I'd like to thank SB Nation's Blogging the Boys editor-in-chief RJ Ochoa for joining us. Thank you to Wes. Shout out to Chaz. Hopefully everything's going well with you and your family. We haven't talked to him in a little bit, but hopefully he's doing better. Hopefully we'll see him on the show next week. Shout out to all the fans that tune in and listen to us every single week as we are the voices of sports here in New York and Long Island. Keep listening to us as our guests get better. And as this season, the NHL season comes around, we'll be on after the Islander game, but we will be hanging and repping sports media here on 103.9, the L.I. News Radio Network. Good night, everybody.